0: We extend Christian greetings to you from the Traverse Bay Mennonite Church, where I serve as pastor and bishop. Our text is from 1 Peter 2, verse 17. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And there are three of those that have been assigned to me, fear God honor the king, and love the brotherhood. And I will probably get more into the context of this passage tomorrow. And our theme this weekend is keeping the greatest commandment. Keeping the greatest commandment, which is what? Yes. And the second is like unto it yes, good i often ask questions, and sometimes I get into congregations where and you need not answer me, but if you care to, you may let's let's put it that way. Uh, I get into congregations where apparently they are not accustomed to responding to the minister, and they largely don't. But I would just say that. I mean, you're not required to respond to me, but if you choose to, you may. This evening, in relation to the fear of God, I would begin in the book of Job, just as an introduction to this subject of the fear of God. in job twenty eight, I somewhat cherish the message. From Job 28. In the beginning of the chapter, he talks about, um, well, I says, surely there's a vein for silver and a place for gold, where they find it. And the first about the first eleven verses deal with what I would call the ingenuity of man. How many of you have ever been impressed with what man can do? I, I mean, have you ever been astounded? at what, through the intellect and ingenuity of humanity, what we have accomplished as as men. And the first 11 verses of Job 28 talk about the ingenuity, the intellect of man, and all that man goes about to, to accomplish, and he does accomplish it. And then in verse 12, he asks this question. But where shall wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding where will you go to find wisdom and where do you get understanding and then he proceeds and i'm not going to read the i'm not going to read this entire passage this evening but we could and he goes on to say it is not here it is not there and on and on down to verse um it cannot be Well, in verse 19 it says, The topaz of Ethiopia shall not equal it, neither shall it be valued with pure gold. And then in verse 20, he again asks the question, Whence then cometh wisdom? Where are you going to find wisdom? And how many of you think that God's people need God's wisdom? Do you believe that this evening? God's people need God's wisdom. And the question is, where is it found? How do you get it? It's not in man's intellect. It's not in man's ingenuity. It is not in. It cannot be valued for anything that you find on the earth. You cannot buy it. You cannot purchase it. And he says, Where? Whence then cometh wisdom, and where is the place of understanding? Seeing it is hid from the eyes of all living, and kept close from the fowls of the air. Destruction and death say, We have heard of the fame thereof, God understandeth the way thereof, and he knoweth the place thereof. There is only one way that you find wisdom, and that is through God. Now, and I will tell you this evening, and if you haven't caught it already, man's intellect and man's ingenuity do not equal wisdom. Because only God knows wisdom. God understandeth the way thereof, God, and He knoweth the place thereof, and He looketh to the ends of the earth, and seeth under the whole heaven, to make the weight for the winds, and He weigheth the waters by measure. And when He was, when He made a decree for the rain, and He way for the lightning of thunder, then He did see it and declare it. He prepared it, yea, and searched it out. And unto man He said. Now, Brother Jonathan already referenced a verse like this, but it's not totally like this. This is the message to man. Unto man he said, Behold the fear of the Lord. It didn't, he doesn't say here that it is the beginning of wisdom. He said that is wisdom. That is wisdom. The fear of the Lord is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Do you believe that tonight? Would you be wise? It is imperative then that you fear God. Another introductory verse. This is from the book of Deuteronomy. You may wonder why, why are you back there in the Old Testament? God said, Oh, that there was such an heart in them that they would fear me always, that it may be well with them and with their children forever. How many of you know the context of that verse? What is it? It's Deuteronomy 5, but you're close. But what what is the context? When did God say to the children of Israel, Oh, that there were such in heart on them. In other words, God desired that the heart that they demonstrated right then was a heart that they would experience always. Now, this is the recounting of the story. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, it is the giving of the Ten Commandments. How many of you know how the Ten Commandments were given initially? Were the Ten Commandments given initially by the finger of God? (laughs) No. No. It was much more frightening than a tablet of stone written with the finger of God. It was a much more frightening experience than that. It was when God brought the people before the mount and they stood before the mountain, and the mountain smoked and there was lightning and thunder and all the, the, the trumpet. It says the trumpet waxed louder and louder. And the people were dreadfully fearful. In In uh, Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Moses even said, I exceedingly fear and quake. So Moses, the man of God, standing there before the mount, he said, I exceedingly fear and quake. That is how awful that sight was, if you want to term it that way. But the people were extremely afraid. (coughs) And the people came to Moses and they said, Moses, listen. Oh, by the way, did I say how they, how God gave them? They heard the voice of God. The, the Ten Commandments were initially given by the voice of God. They audibly heard the voice of God. And they were so frightened at that experience that they came to Moses and said, Moses, listen, we don't want this to happen anymore. From now on, you go talk to God and then you come and tell, and God will talk to you, and then you come and tell us what God said, and whatever God said, we will do. And then God said, you know what God told Moses? And this, is, this is interesting, but God told Moses they have well spoken what they have said. They, they, what they said was a legitimate request, apparently. And I, don't, I, don't, I do not pretend to know totally why it was. But given the nature of humanity, given the nature of the children of Israel and their propensity to deviate from commitments that they've made and what God asks of them, It may be that if God would have continued to meet with them that directly, that the time would have come when he would have wiped them off the face of the earth. But God said, oh, that there were such an heart in them that they would fear me always. In other words, if only we could get a grasp of the fear of God that they are demonstrating right now, and we keep it that way, it would always be for their good, that it may be well with them and with their children forever. But you know part of the rest of the story? How many months later was it that the children of Israel were building a golden calf? What happened to their fear of God? Now, perhaps for clarification, I understand that both of those accounts came from the Old Testament. And when it's recounted in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, But we are not come to a mount that is burning with fire and to the sound of the trumpet, but we have come to something different. The heavenly Jerusalem, and so on. The church of the firstborn. I'm not going to take the time to look at that, but do you know how he concludes that passage? He said, let us serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. The wise man Solomon said, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. Number one is our societal climate. I have said for quite a number of years already, and it is becoming more and more and more evident, one of the hallmarks of our society is the lack of the fear of God. Do you believe that? You wonder what's happening out there you wonder what's going on? Why do, why do things continue to go the way they do? And I'll tell you one of the reasons is because there is no fear of God before their eyes. I think I believe that much of the apostle Paul's description in Romans the latter part of Romans chapter 1 His description of the Gentiles and Gentile people are mirrored, are largely mirrored in the United States of America. And I understand also that he's talking about overt idolatry. But how many of you believe that in the United States of America we may not have overt idolatry, but we do have covert idolatry? In other words, it's not necessarily exposed. We don't set up idols. But my friends, that downward spiral that the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1, I believe is largely mirrored in the United States of America. And one of the primary reasons for that is because there is no fear of God before their eyes. There was a time, if you read history, and I, I enjoy history, I enjoy listening to history, If you read history much at all, there's one thing that you will note that the there was there was in in history in the United States of America there was a time when God was readily acknowledged, and not only was he readily acknowledged, but I believe there was a God consciousness that permeated our society, and that's one of the reasons. And I would I would likewise say. There was a degree of the fear of God in, this, in society at large. There was a degree of the fear of God that is largely missing today. And that is one of the reasons that the United States of America is blessed as she has been. And I further believe that we, have, we are going in a downward spiral to where we, it is highly unlikely that we will make many wise choices in the future as a nation. Do you believe that? Why? Because where is wisdom? And I know, I know society at large, but I do believe that, God, that the United States of America has enjoyed the blessing of God. And you remove the blessing of God from a people. Tell me that they will make wise choices, or that they will choose wisely. Now, let me ask you something else. Does society impact the church? Think it does. Okay, Okay. now let me tell you something, brethren and sisters. If you acknowledge that in the positive, you know what you were saying? That it's not only the people out there that have an issue with the fear of God, it's the people in here as well. And I'm not talking to you necessarily as a people. I don't know you. I know some of you by acquaintance a little bit, but I don't know you. And into that whole discussion comes another question. If there is no fear of God out there... Does its origin actually have its roots in the church? I, I would ask you this evening how is society to know about God unless the church makes a faithful proclamation about God? Right? So, has the church imbibed some of the mentality, thinking, and attitudes of the world? Jesus said, if you you question the issue about what's happening in society impacting the church, I would challenge you to consider what Jesus said when he said, because iniquity shall abound, or because lawlessness shall abound. And I, I would suggest this evening. Because lawlessness abounds, the love of many shall wax cold. So what's that? The lawlessness is out there. The impact is felt within the among the people of God. The love of many shall wax cold. And I would I would further I would further suggest that the reason and there is our society a society of laws. Well, that was our founding. That was our founding. But do you think there's a lawless mentality out there? Absolutely. And I suggest likewise that the reason there's a lawless mentality is because there is no fear of God. So, to make this practical in the church, how many of you have ever argued with God? And maybe I shouldn't use the word argued, but you hesitated. When God asks you to do something now let me let me let me put it this way. How many of you enjoy getting up in church and making a confession? You know how difficult that is? And may I suggest why it's difficult? You feel God prompting you, or maybe maybe it's just to approach another brother or sister and say, yes, I I failed, I sinned, I should not have done what I did, and I apologize and ask your forgiveness. You know why we wrestle with things like that? Because we fear men more than we fear God is that safe to say I'm not going to I'm not going to say that you fear man more than you fear God. I, I don't want to make that as a blanket statement, but I suggest to you this evening, that that is the point wherein we wrestle: the fear of God versus the fear of man. And we don't want to expose ourselves before man. So why should you fear fear God? You know what Jesus said. He said, don't fear the man that can kill you, and that's all he can do. But fear God, who can cast both soul and body into hell. Why should you fear God? Because it is God who you are accountable to. And God has the power to cast soul and body into hellfire. Yesterday, a week ago, I was in my garden, our garden, just doing some last things. And... At the end of our driveway, we have two gospel signs. On the coming from the east, you would see, um, "Wise men still seek Jesus." And coming from the west, you would see, "Prepare to meet Thy God." And we have, we have a lot of cyclists, uh, bicyclists, cyclists go past our place. And I was in my garden. And I heard I heard two cyclists coming. And of course, I mean this is. And I, I was standing there. And I was kind of behind a, a spirea bush, so they couldn't see me. They didn't know I was there. <laughs> and and just uh, and maybe it, maybe it was the words that caught my attention. But the first words that I caught where the one man was telling the other one, he said, and on the other side, it says, prepare to meet thy God. He said, it's like he's ready to knock you off (laughs) or bump you off or something like that. And about that time, they came out to where they could see me. (laughs) standing, And I think they were talking about me, not God. You know, in other words, in, in their mind, you know, like, You know, I'm warning them, you better get ready to meet your God, like I'm about ready to to bump them off. (laughs) And then the guy he was talking to waved to me, and then then the one that was speaking actually waved to me as well. (laughs) But you know what? Those cyclists don't need to worry about Going past my place, that I'm going to be out there with a stick and beat them off their bike or hit, you know, whatever they were anticipating to knock them off. Get ready to meet your God. But one thing those cyclists should do is be ready to meet their God. And I suggest to us that one of the measures of how much we fear God is whether what we do when, it, when it's a conflict between exposing ourselves to man and God is prompting us to do it. That's one of the measures of how much we fear God. And brethren and sisters, I hope, and I'm not, I'm not chastening you at all for the struggle But I hope that you fear God enough that in the end you always listen to God. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Why should we fear God? Verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And we know that. We know that. But I challenge you to consider that I challenge you to consider that in the context of your everyday life. That whatever you do, there is a time coming when you will give an account for it, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Because all of us are going to appear before God. The book of Revelation said Jesus is the Amen, the faithful and true witness. How many of you think that you will stand before God and make arguments for yourself why his judgment is incorrect. Do you believe that? No! There is no way. And God will judge you according to truth, not according to what you think, or how you interpret Scripture, or anything like that. God is going to judge you according to truth. And every one of you will stand before God. And then he says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Brethren, sisters, why should we fear God? Because God is the one that we're accountable to, and God is the one that will one day judge us. And my friends, I fear, I fear that we too readily imbibe some of the thinking of our evangelical friends, that I can simply say, well, God, forgive me. And then everything's okay. And I'm not suggesting that God does not forgive. But my friends, is it possible that some of the problems and the struggles that we face in our churches are because we do not fear God? Hebrews chapter 10, it says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I remember while I was still a child and adolescent and even into my teens, when conviction would have come, come upon me, do you remember what that felt like? And I knew I was not ready to go. I knew I would come under the condemnation of God if I would die. Do you remember that terror? Now, I'm not suggesting that you face the same terror, but my friends, we had better keep God as He really is. It says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And that is actually... Uh, Powerful message in relation to how oft do we too casually go about our business without thinking about the individuals that we meet that will face God unprepared to meet him in peace. What are the results of fearing God? Number one godly fear establishes our rightful place i don't know that there are there there's anyone here tonight that will think rightly about themselves unless it's coupled with godly fear because our tendency is always to think of ourselves other than we ought to think. And with that comes brokenness, contrition, humility. Why? Because we bow before a sovereign God. The second one is, and it comes from 2 Corinthians 7.1, I'm not going to turn there, but it says, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. How many of you struggle with holiness? We had the very unfortunate situation of disqualifying a brother for the lot two weeks ago because of the lack of holiness of life. Brethren and sisters, is part of our problem that we do not have a fear of God. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. My friends, one of the things that I will tell you is that if we are falling short, it is never on the supply side. It It is never on the supply side. In other words, God's resources And sometimes people get the idea that everybody's doing it. The one thing I will tell you is that everyone is not doing it. And the the other thing that I would tell you, it doesn't matter if everyone's doing it because that's not the criteria. The criteria is that God is a holy God and a holy God requires a holy people. And we perfect holiness by fearing God. And the next one is very much like that. Work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. When was the last time that you trembled at the thought of the possibility that your salvation is not absolutely assured at this point? Because Jesus said, he that endures to the end shall be saved. And we are not to the end yet. And therefore, the Scripture says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You've embraced salvation. God has forgiven you of your sins. You've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, how do you work that out? How do you live a life that is, after all, God-honoring? and pleasing to Him. You work it out in fear and trembling. Number four is submitting to one another in the fear of God. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. How many of you have... um, you, you You think that your ideas are pretty much on target. You're straight shooters, you and by the way, everyone else should listen to me, right? In church life, God is working through a people, not just individuals. Do you believe that? God's working through a people. He's working through the corporate body. And we can only we can only find the full dynamic of that and experience the full dynamic of that if we are willing to listen to each other and thereby find what the direction that God would have for us. As insightful as you may think your advice is, it's probably not the only insightful advice. And may you be willing and humble enough to admit that. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Another verse that I deeply appreciate, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. He just mentions Melchizedek, and then in verse 7 it says, who in the days of his flesh, who is he speaking of? Melchizedek or Christ? Speaking of Christ. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death. And this now. So what do you you think the writer of Hebrews is referencing? Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death. What specific experience in the life of Jesus Christ does that bring to mind? The Garden of Gethsemane, yes. Now note what it says next. And was heard in that he feared. The New King James says, he was heard because... Of his godly fear. Now, this this is an interesting concept about prayer. On two fronts, did God the Father save God the Son from death when He prayed in the garden? No. But was He heard? You know what the Scripture says. After that experience the angels came and ministered to him. Did God answer his prayer? He didn't take away the experience of death, but I believe he empowered Jesus Christ to go through with that experience. And sometimes we may not understand why things turn out the way they do, and we wonder, did God hear, did he answer our prayer? And I suggest that Maybe right here is part of the answer. But the other thing about it is, Jesus' prayer was answered because of his godly fear. My friends, do you think God will answer your prayers if they are not accompanied with godly fear? I would close in the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 17, excuse me, verse 16. It says, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. It seems to me in this passage of Scripture that he's talking about a group of people that stood somewhat apart from the majority of the people. Then they that feared the Lord Spoke often one to another. I suspect not everyone in Israel or in Judah was indeed fearing God at that point. But they that did fear the Lord. We've talked about no fear and no fear of God in society. We've talked about, or at least insinuated, that that condition is in the churches as well. But I would wish for you as a congregation here at Bethany that you would be like this select group of people, that you are a people that fear God, and you gather together and exhort and edify one another because you fear God. And then it says, and God took note. Now, that's not exactly what it says, but that's that's the... Just of what it says, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before Him for them that feared the Lord and thought upon His name. My friends, may that be your Christian experience—that you fear God and you serve Him with reverence and godly fear. The Lord. I uh, see you.